Hello, beautiful people. Thank you so much, as always, for clicking on this podcast and this particular episode of Joe Blogs About Films. Whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, it is greatly appreciated, and thank you for your constant, constant support. Just like Frodo and Sam's journey, it has taken us a very long time to get to the final stage of said journey, as I'm once again joined by my good friend Nathaniel, now McCartney-Williams, on this episode as we discuss Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Finally, how are you, mate? Hey man, uh, Mega Vannon to your listeners as well. Like, yeah, very long time no listen. Um, yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm really stoked to be back. It feels like the world has changed. Yeah, <laughs> to, like quote Galadriel. Exactly. Um, like since, especially since the last time when we were doing Two Towers, because I was listening back to it when I was driving to work in the week and. We were both referring to our now wives as uh, fiancés pretty much whenever we were talking about them. And yeah, like so much has changed, so much is the same. But yeah, I'm just dead excited to come back and like almost like close this uh, this trilogy up just like Jackson did like 20 years ago, like this year. How crazy hopefully, is that? Hopefully we can do just as good a job. <laughs> Well, we don't have the same kind of gravitas as uh, Peter Jackson, but yeah. yeah, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> it is mad, though, as you say, that it's 20 years this year, and, and, and I'm going to try and play that as, like, that's why it's taken us so long to get to this episode. <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were purposely waiting for the 20th anniversary. <laughs> of course, yeah. Like, but yeah. It, your listeners aren't even going to get this like so soon. It's gonna they're gonna to have to wait patiently until September. <laughs> yeah, this is it. We're gonna to have to make them wait until the end of the year. Yeah, exactly. Not not like we've made them wait long enough. But no, I yeah. know <laughs> it is. Um, it's exciting. I'm I'm really looking forward to going over it. And as you say, a lot has changed personally, but the, our love for Lord of the Rings certainly has not. It's never wavered. Never wavered, man. Never wavered. And... But yeah. Um, I was just going to say, doing the research again and re-watching it like, in its extended beautifulness, it just, as always, every single time I watch it, just makes me appreciate and love it more and more. So, yeah, let's get to it. Let's get to it. I, I'm really looking forward to it as well, mate. I, I loved doing the the rewatch, the revisit, and um, of course, like you said, just doing a bit of deep dive into the into the into the Return of the King in particular. But it's just always nice to return to Middle Earth, and uh, Return mm. of the King is is such an epic, epic, epic film, epic finale as well. Like the scope is so so grand and huge. Yeah. Um. It was. It's just a joy, isn't it? Every revisit. I know we're going to dive a little bit more into it in, in just a mo, but mm. just. Watching it again, you can't help but just be like awe inspired of what Jackson and, and everyone involved, um, you know, put together. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, like I, I just can never fathom the, the, the societal shift and like cultural shift these films had. And in particular with this one, because, you know, this was like, you know, the, the finish, this was the, the pride moment of the the full story coming round and you know like I don't know about you but sometimes like I actually put off watching this particular film because um I don't particularly like watching it because I know that it's like wrapping up everything and it's uh, it's almost like a little bit sad in a way if that makes sense you know like not because you know you know I can watch as much as I want I've got them on DVD <laughs> but it's like I feel the same when I read the books. Like when I'm getting to the end, I'm just like, oh, you know, all of these things that are tying up, obviously, that we're going to cover. Um, and I felt that way when I was like putting in the disc, like in disc one last week. 
I was just like, oh, gosh, I'm going to be watching the the finale and just, yeah, getting that that. It's like um, it's like a departure in a way, and it always yeah. feels like bittersweet, you know, yeah. like not to quote Gandalf too soon, but you know, like and you know, it's that sort of thing of like you know, um, I will not say do not weep because not all all tears are evil. It's that same kind of feeling, you know, like the the departure of like the trilogy wrapping up is very yeah. bittersweet in that sense. I I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I, I I get the same feeling. I. I love watching this one, but at the same time, I loathe it because again, mm. it's like saying goodbye. I know we got the Hobbit; that doesn't count. But like <laughs> this, this, uh, this is this is something else. And and I think that again, as we've already been praising a couple of moments ago, Jackson and everyone involved with it. But I think that he just ended it so fittingly. So mm. so I know again, it's from the source material, but he had to capture it at the end of the day. He had to make us as the audience feel the way we do watching it and I think he captured it perfectly because it's such a as you stated there bittersweet feeling mm. watching this one I mean you hit the nail on the head there though because like you know yes the Hobbit didn't do as as well or as promising but now it looks far more canon than Rings of Power but hey, uh, <laughs> uh, we, won't, yeah. we won't go too far in that but shots fired you know yeah. like openly and publicly so Amazon come at me bro um, <laughs> but yeah it's it's true like Jackson and the rest of like Weta Workshop and everybody that had like their own sort of job and role and purpose within this like particular story. And, you know, it's that adaptation from the book to the film that, like you mm. said, it was a mammoth task, but they had so much care and love for the original material that they never lost sight of what was needed to be shown. Yeah. And, you know, you are right. They they captured it brilliantly. And it's and even now when you see like the, the scope and landscape of like Hollywood, like within the big screen, nothing seems to ever really capture the same kind of like beauty in the same way that like was captured in this. And I think, you know, just this own this one film on its standalone getting the 11 Oscars is a testament to that. Obviously, the trilogy did amazing, like, across the board, like, at every single Academy Award. But this one, like, just in itself, was a masterpiece. And that's why it got 11, you know. Yeah. It, it, how it, it is. Exactly that. It, it, it got, as you said, 11 Academy Awards. I was going to... I mean, it's pointless me even asking. I, I guess we could uh, throw it out to the listeners as well, if you can name all 11 <laughs> awards that it won. Uh, but for you, I'm guessing you know that off the top of your head. I'm, I'm assuming so. <laughs> Um, I don't, but then again, there are only, as far as I'm aware, there is, is it, only 11 categories anyway, so they technically won in every single category. I well, could I think, be wrong. I think yeah. it's thir- I think it's 13. If I, is just it 13? Be- just because, the only reason why I know this is because out of all the awards it won, the only ones it didn't win were Best Actors and Best Supporting Actors, which I find quite surprising. Yeah, actually. Um, In particular, you know, like, you know, Samwise and the performance there. Like, I, I'm so surprised he didn't get a, a nomination. Yeah. Um, I mean... Oh, it, maybe he did, so he just maybe he didn't win it. I, I could be yeah. wrong there, sorry. It's a... Well, no, it's, it's a, it is a very fair point to put forward. And I guess maybe that kind of shows that this was more of like an ensemble piece in a way. You yeah. Know, like, with the main cast, like, that... You know, like there wasn't any real standalone like through line. I know that like obviously the story does surround itself around like Sam and Frodo in particular. Yeah. And especially like within the books, it really does heavily follow Sam and 
Frodo, like, for the majority of it, and then still d- dips in and out with the, the rest of the prominent, like, uh, Fellowship characters. But I think that's what's good about Jackson, is that he really balanced it across the playing field. So then it does feel more like an ensemble piece. Yeah. And maybe that's why they, they weren't so successful in those categories. But they still yeah. should have won. Still oh, yeah, won. D- definitely <laughs> should have won. But, I mean, taking nothing away from the 11 that they did win. I mean, and, and no. it, I guess you can argue that... The 11, I mean, it kind of backs up what your point is, what I'm getting at, is that it did feel like an ensemble piece because, listeners, if you want to know all the 11, I'll read them out for you now. Obviously, they've got the best picture, best director, best adapted screenplay, art direction slash set direction, which, come on, uh, costume design, come on, deservedly. (laughs) Editing, again, are you you kidding me? Like, makeup, score, uh, Mm. the original song, Into the West, uh, and then sound mixing and visual effects, which, again come on now, like, yes, that totally should have won all of those. And and it doesn't really matter that, you know, that the actors and such didn't didn't get a, an award for it. Um, they, they all act the bloody asses off. So it, it, the, yeah. everything is on screen that you need. And, and those 11 Academy Awards, I think, just support that massively. Absolutely. Um, I think we was having a bit of a chat about this when we were just um, getting some thoughts together as well, that... Um, one thing that I did particularly notice last week, and it might just be me looking at it in a you know in a different way or or whatever as we start getting weary and old like Theoden, but um, <laughs> I actually felt that watching this back and watching the extended edition in, with with such scrutiny around like the way that we analyze it, mm. that this is the one that I feel gets the the worst cut for the theatrical because yeah. when I've watched the the first two like almost like back to back with the theatrical and with the um and with the extended they have much better flow to it from the theatrical from the things that were cut whereas with this one I was like oh okay there, there's more jars here with the storyline you know particularly around like the three hunters where you see Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas, and the storyline that takes them through, like um, you know, like the the mountains, and yeah. for the army of the dead. So much of that is like cut to the point of where I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, this feels like almost like a new film with these scenes because I haven't yeah. seen it. I, I haven't watched the extended edition in quite a while. Yeah. So I was actually genuinely shocked when I was like, oh that's not in the theatrical, that's not in the theatrical. Why is it not in the theatrical? <laughs> this stuff is too good to get rid of. Yeah. Who, like, I, And, you know, I'm not saying that it's an easy task for the editor, but, you know, some of the stuff that they cut out, I was like, you, you've done some dirty here with these three. Yeah. I've done some terrible stuff. Because obviously, you know, as we go on, I, I've written so many things about those particular scenes around, like, just the way that they all interact with each other, because it's just, there's beautiful little nuances between the friendships within that, yeah. th- within that trio that are heavily missed in the theatrical version. But that's my, I would say that's my only gripe with the film. Um, and in this particular one, it, I guess it just makes me um, more of a convert like yourself, Joe, just to watch the extended editions <laughs> rather than the theatrical from this point on. This, this is it. I mean, you, you all, you kind of, I've got a, similar feeling about this film as well in terms of the cuts and such because as you've stated there like I only ever watched the extended cuts like I don't even own the theatrical mm. cuts I would have seen the theatrical cut of each film a handful of times if that my always when it comes to Lord of Rings is always the extended cut that's just who I am but yeah. this this one in particular for me has got 
I would say that the worst cuts in terms of like poor poor decision on Jackson's front and like we'll yeah. get to it and people may be able to probably guess anyway it's, it's a big one um, but it's the only like you said gripe I have with this one and again it's because he had so much to, to work with though it, it is like I said yeah. I can't take it they won an Oscar for editing so they clearly did something right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly no very true and you know like who are we to, to say what's right or wrong about taking stuff out for a theatrical um, exactly. concept but yeah I, I think it's just because we we love it so much and, yeah. uh, you know, we would probably watch the films if it were 12 hours long. Oh, you know, like each, yeah. you know, we'd be like, yes, yeah, we'll just Why watch not? it in like three days solid. <laughs> but we're, we're the right level of fandom because we're not toxic about this. We're not on Twitter still slagging Jackson off like 20 years later being like, why did you cut this scene out? How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> yeah, that's very oh. true. I, I mean, granted, I'm not on Twitter as much as I used to be, but I can imagine that, yeah, like you said, there's people out there that really do still lay in so harshly to him. And it's like, he's one man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, leave him alone. The same with the editor. He's just one person oh. as well. Leave him be. He did a job. <laughs> and they did it well and they did it they well. did it so brilliantly absolutely we're gonna, we'll dive into it in just a tick but obviously before that obviously i have to give well i don't have to but i'm going to give the the podcast social plugs before we do dive in it's available on apple spotify google podcast basically wherever you get your podcast fix from just search for joe blogs about films you can find it hit like follow notify all that jazz that will be awesome jump onto facebook and instagram search joe blogs about films and you can find the podcast pages on there to keep up to date there we go there we have it so let's go straight back to middle earth for Return of the King, Gandalf and Aragorn lead the world of men against Sauron's army to draw his gaze from Frodo and Sam as they approach Mount Doom with the One Ring. As synopsis mm-hmm. go, that is so vague. <laughs> yes, it is, because it makes it sound as if like they're just stood there in a playground going, Sauron, look at us, Sauron! Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh dear, worst synopsis you know. ever, IMDb. Speaking wow. of which, th- this... Uh, this on IMDb is a nine out of ten. It's the highest rated of the of the three. I can see why that is. Absolutely, mm. I'm obviously, as you know, a, a big Fellowship fan. Um, and so then I I'm, a, to... I'm the Two Towers fanboy. Yeah. So there we go. You know, but then again, you know, I was surprised last time when you said that Two Towers had the lowest, um, the, the the lowest like rating on IMDb. Yeah. But then I could also understand it because it was the one that. I would say lacks the most storytelling and a lot more action. So I can understand that obviously in that case, some people who were probably like very diehard and wanted to see more of like the real connections between the characters probably felt a bit lacking. Whereas for me as a, gosh, how old would I have been? 2002 as an 11 year old boy, it was like, you know, blood, blood and gore, like at at the battle of Helm's deep and the Holmberg, like it was just everything for me. So it just made sense. But I love that with the trilogies that everyone's got their every everyone's right in their favorite choice. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like every fan's right. So yeah, of course. Um, I, just to let your listeners know, I have done the extending edition like scene game again. So I've oh, got dear. my I've got the first ten, and I'll tell you what, this was quicker than all than the other two. Like all the scenes were so quick. I was like, holy moly, we're going to be done in like ten seconds because they're just they're, they're literally fast. Yeah, and some of them aren't even like full scenes. Some of them are just like even like a quick camera shot. That's <laughs> not like even in the theatrical. <laughs> so I've got no like, chance. Oh, I wonder if Joe's going to find this or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to probably watch me epically fail at this one, but take nothing away from my love because I just I only watch the extended cut. So every scene, I'll be like that one, that one, that one. <laughs> exactly. So uh, I'm not sure if you was the same, 
but like when I when I first put the film in disc on ready to play I was very sort of like surprised by the the real change in this like opening bit of music by Howard Shaw because it was completely different to like the the feel of the two towers feel of like the beginning of um of uh, the fellowship of the ring and I was just like oh oh what's going on here this is a very interesting take on the music it almost felt slightly ajar like you know as if it was completely away from it yeah and then as always as soon as like it just came up with lord of the rings and you get the ring theme come on i just smiled straight yeah. away i was just like oh it just got my um you know just like the hairs on the back of my neck like just up immediately just like with excitement yeah. um i don't know how you felt like when it was like that no, I I get it because it 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 did feel with the opening with the opening music that we were about to watch a more like darker film in the sense, mm. or like it just felt like really like I said, a bit of a juxtaposition because of what we we're expecting and what we'd had before. Sorry, but I also think it works really well with what we see literally in the first like five minutes of of obviously Smeagol turning to Gollum because the opening for Return of the King is super dark, like. Yeah. It yeah. is. I think it's. I would say the probably the darkest moment of the entire saga. Getting mm. to see that sequence of of Smeagol becoming Gollum. Um, and I, did you? I'm, you'll know. Anyways, it's interesting that they were gonna. That Jackson originally wanted to get like a different actor for the sequence. Yeah. yeah. And it was only with with Andy Serkis being so well in the well being part of Gollum that much that they were like, okay, we're gonna have to keep him in it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a very interesting uh like bit of trivia that I came across and I was like I would have been it was very similar to when we talked about like Stuart Townsend and like another you know, first couple of mm. um like shots that they got of him being um Aragorn originally before Vigo came on the scene and it's just like it'd be interesting to know who was like in the mix for like yeah you know like river folk Smeagol before like the ring. Um, but yeah, no, I'm glad that they, they saw like what circus was doing and just realized that, no, it has to be from him into yeah. what, it, what he becomes as Gollum. Like, I, I don't think it would have, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like where you ever, when you see the, the final piece, but then look at the trivia, you're like, thank God they made that decision because, yeah. I can't even fathom like just how it would have looked if it was someone else. I just don't think it would have hit the same way for that transition. Definitely not. It, it's so it, weird. It worked. It, it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have worked. Sorry, is what I was trying to say. They definitely wouldn't have worked having someone mm. else and then to flip it and just have you know, like I say, Andy Serkis's incredible motion capture as, as Gollum and such. I just it wouldn't have, as you say, hit the hit the right mark at the opening. And it's such a I'm glad that we did get to see it, but at the same time, I remember seeing this for the first time, being like, "Good Jesus!" Like this is, I mean, the opening in, in the actual the opening frame, the shot of obviously you know seeing the the wide shot and uh, heavily focusing on Smeagol as he's smiling with mm. the worm, like it all feels such a like I said, stark contrast to the pure evil that's about to follow. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's all gorgeous. They're in this wonderful, perfectly you know situated fishing spot, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. I think we see already the like. Uh, sadisticness of Smeagol straight off because he's putting that worm on that hook, but he's smiling as he's doing it. It's like yeah. he's almost like enjoying that. Yeah, it's like really seeing even at that stage the origins of um, Smeagol's tastes. I guess yeah. in a way, you know, just the way that 
yeah, he's he's smiling so happily. And like how it really plays into like the understanding of why Gollum has like essentially sub-existed on like fish and maybe like some dead orcs every now and then. Yeah. Um but so... fish in particular, because you know, they they were part of the river folk, you know, that are descendants of um the hobbits and whatnot, you know, and like obviously we hear that with how Frodo like sort of starts talking to him uh, when they're going through the deep marshes in the two towers. Yeah. Then to actually see them at that point, you know, and and on the River Anduin, which is where the the ring has been residing for two and a half thousand years up mm. until this pivotal point. Um, yeah, like you said, the way they shoot it is just gorgeous. You know, the the color is so vivid, like the greens, the um, just like everything about it just looks like you say, just so captivating. Yeah. And it looks like, you know, for me, the way that Tolkien envisioned that the world would be, or, or, would, or the way the world should be, you know, just yeah, lush landscapes, hardly any industrialism, you know, it just, it was like, it, like you said, it's a beautiful way to start it, but there is that undertone even right from the beginning. Mm. Um, but what I love about this particular bit as well is the way that Andy Serkis also like humanizes like Smeagol's voice even more like yeah. it's not like it just feels like he's putting it on it feels like no unfortunately there's been some weird like sort of development with his like vocal cords and that is just how he always sounded yeah. um i just felt like yeah like i said just he just humanized like what we've seen of him as a creature then back to where he was in that original state like you know what five if I remember correctly in the timeline, I'm sure your listeners will always correct me, but like, you know, it's for 500 years, I think Galadriel yeah. says. Like, Something like that, yeah. Yeah, that Poised he had the ring. Mind. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so just such a, an interesting, um, like, way of doing it. And I just really enjoyed it. Just very interesting to see, like, that that transition, you know, like yeah. going right back to the beginning. I just it's it's one of those things that's like I said I wanted to see it, but then I saw it and I was like I didn't I didn't I didn't want to see that and I, I think the 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 camera work as well with this that like I said to get this data like to get the the right angles for the actual uh, killing of Deagle which I mean it's building up and building up but I love what he does with this like POV shot like when he flings mm. his friend uh, when he flings Deagle I should say and you you see what Deagle would see as he's falling to the ground but then there's that yeah. music as well of like the high screeching pitch almost like the drum beats representing Deagle's heartbeat you know fading and fading yeah. it's like yeah. it's just haunting and and it's said that due to these violent actions this is why the ring possessed Gollum the, the way that it did that it really like I say poisoned poisoned his mm. mind well, I mean, that makes perfect sense, you know, and I think what I'll just, uh, sorry, just to go back a bit, but um, I love the the sort of throwbacks to the Fellowship film. You know, we see like how it all cuts through, like, you know, a deagle going through the river and seeing the ring, being yeah, mesmerized yeah. about it immediately. And then you see how he picks it out of the water. And, I, you know, it's one of those moments where you're just like, oh, my gosh that's from the first film yeah, that's from the yeah. prologue holy yeah. moly but then you're absolutely right like it just shows that immediate power from the ring that these yeah. if i remember correctly that it could be that the brothers or the cousins i always get it mixed up mm. but that immediate like struggle on who is going to have the ring yeah um 
And then it's like, you know, it, it, and it's so dark. The way that Smeagol literally kills, like, somebody so close to him for that, like you said, it it immediately just pinpoints it all. And then I just love the the transition and, like, the decaying of Smeagol as oh, well. Yeah. They really do truly pinpoint each moment that his body is, like, giving up on him yeah but then like still managing to keep on going on for hundreds of years it's, um yeah it's brilliant it's a very hot like i say haunting is the word i would describe it and i think it was such a, a great effective way and straight away as, a, as an audience member as a fan of the franchise or whatever you sat there and you're like you are hooked out you want to see mm. what is to follow from this but i think that this this opening in all in all its capacity does just represent the rest of the film and it all like the, mm. this journey sorry i should say for frodo and sam and everyone else is that you know you have that lightness at the start obviously by just seeing them fish and having a just another normal standard lovely day and then it just just completely is thrown and flipped on its heads for yeah. um for obviously more darker more darker circumstances to follow and Gollum has such a big part i don't we're not going to i'm not going to fleet in you know across right to the end or anything like that but in terms of this film in general, like we know from the back of the last one that he's got a plan up his sleeve. Like, yeah, he, yeah almost like putting on this overly friendly persona to manipulate and trick Frodo right off the bat. Yeah. But Sam can see straight through it, you know, like that's that. I think that's what, again, I love that, that, that triangle or the three of them, I should say, mm. like, you know, Frodo buying into this nonsense from Gollum and then Sam just being like, this is just absolute ridiculousness. Like, I don't understand. And we see it again from the start. Yeah. Just like where it picks up having the breakfast and such before Frodo and, and everyone set off again. Um, but yeah, like there is very pivotal part of the story from like, well, from when we meet him in Two Towers, but in particular for Return of the King, Gollum is a, a, a major key player. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, you, you're so right with what you've just said about from the moment that Smeagol feels like he's been betrayed in the yeah. Two Towers. Um, and then from that moment on, when Gollum kind of comes back as almost like the uh, I told you so persona, yeah. um, he he is like fully invested in making sure that these two hobbits get where they need to go. He's still going to help them in that sense, but it's only to ever meet his needs yeah. of like re re making sure that he gets the ring back. Yeah. Um, I just want to also comment on the... Uh, the brilliant transition at the end of the um, of Smeagol's sort of like backstory, where it changes from um, Andy Serkis in the prosthetics and goes into the CGI oh, yeah. of Gollum, yeah. it is it is such a great transition that I genuinely thought, like when I was a kid, that like they must have, I don't know, like just enlarged his eyes, like yeah. like you yeah. know, like through digital effects rather than it just being. The actual Smeagol, um, you know, it's just beautiful layering over that the, those particular um, negatives and just the way it transitions is magic. It's oh, so it, good. It's such a good. It, like, it, like I completely forgot to even speak about that briefly, but I do completely agree with that comment about that transition because I also like that <clears throat> in that sequence, the color palette. There's a lot of green, almost like mm. 
gives off that kind of mossy, mouldy vibe, like something's gone off, which is pretty much Smeagol has gone yeah. off. Really, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that is so true. It goes from being like really luscious, like, yeah, trees and like a riverside to then, yeah, like decaying flesh. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, it's just it's just grim, but fantastic work again from from all involved in that sequence yeah. and. As as openings go, I, I it, it's one of those where it's almost I say this a lot, but there's certain scenes in films like tra- or trailers that really imprint in me and mm. like in my little tiny brain. And that opening of Return of the King is honestly the everything. It's one of them because I find it so striking visually. Like, mm. oh Jesus, this is dark. Um, yeah, but I like so it. True. I like it because I'm a sicko. I uh, <laughs> obviously after all of this that's happened and, and we, we've we've kind of you know first seen Frodo and Sam and, and, and Gollum and that, um, I do like how we then, you know, have this very brief... There, there are moments of lightness in terms of lightheartedness or whatever in, in this mm. film. Not a lot, but obviously at the start of this film, there's a very brief spell following the Battle of Isengard and the defeat of Saruman. You know, mm-hmm, just seeing mm-hmm. Merry and Pippin, just having a nice smoke and a drink, just making jokes, you know, it's so lovely to see. Like, it's... Just, just great fun, and those two getting high as a kite is is just so deserving after that battle of, so uh, of Isengard. Yeah, it's so true. You know, I, and I love that reunion of like some of the fellowship. It feels like you know, oh, they were parted for so long, but now they're all together, and yeah. it's just it, it, it's so lovely because then you get to see, you know, like Merry and Pippin like you said, just absolutely joking around as they would. You know, they talk about the fact that they feel like they're just back at the Green Dragon. Um, And then, you know, like one of the most like memed parts of that scene about the salted pork being particularly good. (laughs) (laughs) Salted pork! Um, It's just absolutely magic. And once again, after seeing that that real sort of like um, luscious colouring palette from, um, you know, from the opening with uh, Smeagol to then going back to that stark contrast where, you know, it changes in the decaying of Smeagol, then going into that scene with, um, with Sam and Frodo and everything talking about, you know, the stakes being a lot higher with the lack of food and still getting that hope from Sam. um, It then goes back to being a warmer palette now that we're with these heroes after the battle. Um, and it's yeah, it's just such a. I just love that reunion because it's like it's just like you know friends haven't seen each other for so long and they've been through a lot, but yeah. nothing skips a beat in a way. If that no. makes sense, you know, it's it's lovely. It's lovely to see it that way. It is. It re- it really is. And um, this then brings us to what I was alluding to earlier, which mm. we were saying about just a few niggles, we should say. But like, there's. Very little that I think Jackson did wrong with these films. Uh, but honestly, cutting Saruman's death from the theatrical cut, I just think was the silliest move. Um, I, I think that for the story itself, I just feel like it needed to be in it. Like, I yeah. know we get it in the extended cut, and that's that's fair enough, but I'm not going to grumble too much, obviously, about about <laughs> I mean, listen, it is such an epic death. on like It's such a good death, you know, mm. for, for, as characters go, but... I yeah, like I, I I can't understand why that one got cut. You know, we get to see the filth of Saruman is washing away, and absolutely, I, I, I just think that you know Christopher Lee, for everything he'd done for the film prior, the films I should say, mm. give him it, give him his, give him his death, just as in just put it in the theatrical cut. I, I don't understand why it got cut. 
No, neither do I. And, you know, it's, you know, fair enough. It's, um, I think this particular scene in general is probably about seven to eight minutes long. And I can understand it to an extent, but there are things that they could have done to just like maybe trimmed the conversation down just a bit. Yeah. Um, for it to then still be within the theatrical version. I don't think anybody who watches like theatrical films would have been too uncomfortable with it being maybe like three hours and 15, maybe three yeah. hours and 20. But, and as you've said, you know, end of the day, like a bit of trivia for your listeners, Christopher Lee in particular was not happy because this scene was supposed to be one of the finishing scenes within the two towers. Mm. And when that was released... It wasn't there, so he was very unhappy about that. Then, you know, Jackson himself has already said, like, in interviews that, you know, he he had to scramble to make sure that, like, those scenes weren't um, destroyed or removed or, you know, like, essentially, like, forever. Yeah. So then he wanted to put it in, you know, like, as soon as possible to show that, like, um, almost like continuity from the the second film. Christopher Lee also wasn't particularly happy with the way that the scene was done. Most diehard fans will know is that this isn't how Saruman goes in the books. And, you know, that that also irked Christopher Lee a little bit. It was one of those where, for Jackson, he was in a rock and a hard place because it was either, does he make the creative decisions to change things but then upset a prominent cast member <laughs> or upset the diehard fans. And unfortunately, yeah. he managed to to do all three, you know, <laughs> um, to, be complete, to be completely brutal. Yeah, there's Jackson just like, hey! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he upset Christopher Lee, which, you know, went on for a very long time. It did, Right up did. until, like, the he Hobbit. had to coax him to The Hobbit. Yeah, yeah um, long time, long, long you know, time. You know, a very, very long time. And... It does work in a way. Like yeah. I, I've never been particularly bothered by this scene. I do agree it's a misstep on Jackson's part, but overall, it kind of does still fit in like yeah. his his vision as a storyteller. Yeah, and like you said, he still gets you know the the demise that Saruman gets, um, like within the book. Obviously, not as like. I mean, it would have been interesting to have seen how the Scouring of the Shire would have, like, played out, you know, with, yeah. um, you know, like, the Shire being that desolate wasteland that we get a glimpse of, like, in yeah. the Fellowship when you, when um, uh, Frodo's looking into the water with Galadriel. But I also can understand that, you know, for a lot of people, that would have been like, God, another battle? Yeah. Oh, another <laughs> one? Um, so I do understand it, but... Um, what I like is uh, it's it's one of those scenes that shows the the power within Saruman's voice because yeah. of the way that he talks, the way he um, almost you can sort of see that like those who aren't as strong willed against him, unlike say like people like Theoden or whatever, you know you can sort of see them like being a bit unsure about Saruman. Um, because he is a very powerful wizard. I, I must admit, it is still a good death. It's one of those scenes, because like, as much as I, I, I love it, I think it's a great additional extended cut scene. I do wish it was in a theatrical cut. I can see, as you say, from a director's standpoint, and edit, you know what I mean, just how to, it'd be easy just to cut it all out. Or like, I think they could have personally just trimmed it down a little. I, I also mm. think that maybe 
because it is quite again as with Lord of the Rings, there are some good you know amounts of uh, death and horror and you know Im- imagery, I should say, is what what I'm getting at that could have you know leaned it a little bit more to maybe not you know getting the the age certificate that they want, and maybe this scene mm. would have tipped them over the edge. There's also that as well. They've got to think True. about they have to get the rating for the obviously the twelve that they were after. But if it had been if 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 it was a case of this death would have pushed it to a fifteen again, I'd have been like, well, fair enough, cut cut it out yeah. and kind of thing. So there's a lot of factors that we have to play. But just me personally, you've summed it up perfectly well there with all the, the trivia and such and, and all of that with with Jackson and um, and and obviously Saruman's performance and in, in, sorry Christopher Lee's performance as Saruman in there. Mm. It's a it's a cracking scene. I think it's because it's that good that I wish it was in the extended. Uh, it, sorry, in the actual yeah. original release. So um, true. It's so great. do you know the first two I mean I'll give you that one as like as the extended scene you, you've said it pretty much almost Ooh. like you know from the start but do you yeah. know the first extended scene um, I'm just trying to replay it all in my it it must be then is it is it something to do with Smeagol and Deagle it's not all it's of not. that all that is within the theatrical so then it's got to be between Frodo, Sam and Gollum yeah it's literally okay. just that it's that first bit when you see them um, like in that, I think it's like a sewer system or something. Yeah, where they're um, like sleeping and stuff. Or... Yeah, in the yeah. theatrical version, it literally goes from, um, I think it's from when Frodo says, you know, it's not even, it's only just, it's not even midday yet. Yeah. Um, and then like that then immediately cuts to Smeagol like doing like the Spider-Man drop and going like, come on, Hobbitses. Yeah. Um, Whereas, obviously, in this extended one, they're talking about the rationing and the food. Oh, we've got oh. enough, enough for the journey. Like, enough of what? All oh, that's the, gone. Yeah, it wow. literally cuts wow. that entire bit out. I don't know why. Once again, you know, like it, it's showing the, like I said, it, it's showing the stakes between yeah. the, their situation. You know, that Lember spread, you know, it, it does its job, but within reason. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but so, no, yeah, I, you've got the first two so far, so you're doing all right. No, fair enough, fair enough. Thank you. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to keep a keep a score. You'll keep a score, but thank you. And listeners, again, ah, if you sure. know any, play along with us, please do, and, and laugh <laughs> at me getting these terribly wrong. Um, but I really want to just jump to Pippinge for a quick second. And again, I'm not going to mm-hmm. jump from here to there, but this is another character that has a tremendous journey and transformation. In the it, it, Obviously, as this trilogy goes on, but in this film in particular, I think... Pippin shines super bright a lot you know up there with Mm. you know you you Sean Astin and you Elijah Woods and such I think that we've seen him throughout this trilogy and these films has been this innocent and naive character who's always been looked after you know like you Mm. know he's Mary's always looking after him watching out for him you know he goes on to say that a little bit later which we'll come to obviously but yeah you know once he's Again, sorry, there's that element of naivety again when he looks into Saruman's Palantir, you know. Leading you are Sar- correct, Palantir, yeah. yes. <laughs> Palantir, um, leading to obviously Sauron then thinking that he's got the ring, but by the end of the film, you know, all of this has changed for Pippin. Like, and, I, and again, I know I apologize, I'm jumping here and there, but he says to Merry that, you know, when he finds him in the final battle, like, I'll I'll take care of you now. But basically, mm. like, like Merry has done for all his life, pretty much. And I know we'll cover more of Pippin, but he does get some really good moments in this film. And it's just... When you see him at the start as well, you know he's he's still in that kind of wing it kind of phase. You know what I mean? Like I, I know that he is he's hobbits. You know you can't you got to give them the due. You know what I mean? Like they are yeah. great and they can really you know stand much taller than what they are. But there's still that kind of level of like oh this is all fun. But by the end, I think he is completely redesigned almost. You're so right. You know, um, 
at first, like when you was bringing this point up, I was like, are you are you sure? But then the when you've actually explained it, you're so you're you're absolutely spot on, man. Like, because if you look at like the, just the four hobbits in general, um, it always feels like Sam and Frodo sort of had a grasp on like the severity of the situation pretty much when they got to Rivendell. Yeah. And then Mary was like trying to match it, but still didn't really understand it too much. You know, it mm. was just kind of like, oh, well, we're still going to come with you because he's very bravado-ish. And then Pippin's like, right, where are we going? Yeah. Um, whereas as time goes on, Sam and Frodo, you really see get, you know, obviously put through the paces with having to to delve across all of this landscape with the ring but then Merry switches on pretty quickly that he's no longer like that sort of young adult hobbit anymore he's got yeah. to get his you know his stuff together yeah and then you're absolutely right this this film really shows that journey for Pippin a lot more you know that naivety turning into like oh no I'm starting to really fully grasp the situation and, you know, there's some brilliant scenes, like you said, that we'll touch upon when we get there, that, you know, you really see that. And, you know, I won't delve in right now, but, you know, you see it a lot, like, especially in the scenes like at Minas Tirith. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, you're absolutely spot on. He is the final one to sort of mature from that young adult hobbit. Um, and we get to see it. Like, with the others, it almost feels like, you know, it just happens within the yeah. smaller moments of scenes, whereas he almost takes like a very pivotal part of the storyline in this film. It absolutely does. And, and you know, uh, like I said, we'll touch on more with him later. He gets some great conversations and say, mm. I think that it, it is built up almost as like, I'm not saying it's the Pippin show or anything like that, but I think <laughs> that he definitely cements himself as a, a very, some memorable moments for, for, for the Hobbits in general. Yeah. Um, I think Gandalf sums it up as well. After after you know, like Pippin's looked into the Palantir, and Gandalf's like, uh, there was no lie from Pippin, a fool, but an honest fool. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just Pippin. That's just Pippin. That's he it. told Sauron nothing exactly because he's exactly. got nothing to give. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Pippin, fool of a duck. <laughs> you know, like, don't worry about Pips. You know what I mean? But no, literally. It, it's a it's a great description for Pippin, but you know we come to obviously with within this the 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 beef we, we've we've kind of established there's beef between Rohan and, and Gondor and you know they, mm. they don't get on at all and and the memes I love them all <laughs> all the memes to do with the uh, with, with with this you know that's a side note but send thoughts and prayers yeah but you know Gondor <laughs> didn't help Rohan at a certain time Rohan didn't help Gondor on another time it's very yeah. tit for tat but like. In these times, as Gandalf is saying, and as Aragorn and, and everyone's saying, the Middle Earth needs everyone to unite to defeat Sauron. It's plain and simple as that. Yeah, you're definitely right. There's definitely a strain between those two realms, you know, with the way that Denethor, that we meet very shortly, um, you know, conducts and governs um, Minas Tirith as the steward, but then the way that Theoden rules as king in Rohan, they, they are very strong willed and and you know in some cases a bit blockheaded yeah. um but like you know and we see that where you know aragorn is trying to get some help you know trying to sort of you know rally a bit of like you know support with uh with Theoden, you know like after like these scenes that we see where the you know they are 
mourning but then still celebrating the victory um and i really enjoy this scene because we get to see some amazing stuff like between um like quite a few of our like you know the the main cast should i say um and i just thought it's probably best to bring us back to that because there is quite a few extended scenes just okay. in this um what? so let's see how we do <laughs> i think i'm just trying to think i think that there's there's an extended sequence with Pippin looking into the Palantir. Is that correct? With all that when everyone's asleep? Yes, there is. That is that's the extended scene six. Is there so one... very well done? Okay. Is there one where Legless and Gimli are drinking together? I'll give you that. That is that is three and four. So okay. uh, number three is when they're explaining the rules to Legless yeah. about the drinking game. Good scene. Um, that and, I absolutely. Yeah, again, it is. I, I wrote that down when I was talking about like the lighter moments of the film. That this is another very good, uh, a very good humorous one where they're having the drinking contest following following yeah. the victory. It's 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 just glorious. And then the next one is when you know um, we we get to see like Legolas being like, "There's something happening, a tingling. I think it's affecting me." <laughs> and then Gimli, and then Gimli's like, "Oh." This elf can't even hold his ale and then passes out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is he saying? So yeah, I, very I well won, done. I won, though. Is it I won? Does it say or something? Is it? Yeah, I think he over? goes out. Yeah, something similar. Something. Yeah, I can't remember. Someone will tell but us. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's yeah, well, how, how, many more, how many more extended sequences there? Is there three more or something to pick? Um, there's there's another one that comes not that far after like Gimli passing out, like it is actually dead close to it. Like I say, these came really like fast and quick, like in this, like in just this Um, particular bit. Is it Eowyn? Is she, is is it when she's talking to Carl Urban or is that, am I too soon? No, that's in the theatrical. I know which bit you're on about, but no, that is in the theatrical. Same with the part where she's talking to uh, Theoden and Theoden's like, you know, He's an honourable man. That's because like, I was he, thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. no, that yeah, that's okay. in the. Okay. Yeah, because that that is uh, my note where it says Eowyn still pining for Aragorn. <laughs> Faden approves. Uh, but no. <laughs> uh, but no, that is uh, that's that's in the in the theatrical. I'll give okay. you a hint. Okay. It's around Merry and Pippin. That it's where they're at Edoras. It's within this bit. It's got to be something food related or something, surely. Ooh. I tell you what, you just tell me that you tell me the ones because I, I don't think I'm gonna get. Them I mean, um, I mean this this one, I had to actually rewind and watch it just to make sure, <laughs> and it's it is something so minimal, and it, it actually annoyed me why it got cut, but it's where they're <laughs> dancing, on like the yeah. um on the table. And you know they're they're singing about the green dragon, and then for some reason, like I think like one of them slips a bit, and they're like, "Oh, steady on" or something like that. Yeah. I, and then they and then they pick up the song again, and I was just like, "That was literally ten seconds. Why did you cut that?" <laughs> like, but I'm not surprised you didn't get that one because yeah. it is it is minuscule. It is so tiny. But I was just like, "Hang on a sec. That that's not in the theatrical." Yeah. Ah, interesting. So, yeah, very um, minuscule. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It was ridiculous. It was like, why did you cut that? It made no difference. If anything, yeah. it just shows just how bumbling they still are after a good couple of pints. Like it just it it, it didn't take anything away. Like yeah. I just didn't understand why they got rid of it. But hey ho, 
But no, we're doing all right. Only one, and and it was a hard one. To be fair, yeah, that's I can take. I'll take that on chin. That's fine. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but we were obviously discussing a moment or two ago just how Mary's looked after Pippin all his life, and mm. when he and Gandalf, obviously when Pippin and Gandalf, you know, are about to leave and such, we do get that again. We see this, you know, when they're saying goodbye to each other. It's very sweet and very sad at the same time. You know, they've they've no idea if they're ever going to see each other again. Mary states. Mm. As, as he's watching him ride off, that he's always followed me everywhere I went. Even before we were twins, I used to get him into the worst trouble. It's just so pure from Mer- from Merry and, and and him giving Pippin the last of his, his weed as well, we should say. Like, but he's saying, hey, you smoke too much, Pip. Like, I know you've run out or whatever. It's just, it's, <laughs> yeah. so, it's so lovely. But again, it's it kind of sets us up, I think, because this is where I would say that they're lighter. There's very few and far, you know, there's not many in this film, but I think this is like... The, the the stop, the cut-off of, okay, things are quite serious now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just let you know, you've got uh, the extended scene eight there where, ah. you know, like, because that's not in the theatrical where Mary talks about, like, how they've always been so close. And the theatrical is literally... But we'll see each other again, won't we? And then it's like, I don't God. know, Pip. And then it's like, <laughs> Mary! Mary! <laughs> and then, yeah... And then he just bolts off and then yeah, yeah you, you get Merry like, you know, running up to like obviously watch him go off in the distance, but then it cuts straight away. It well, this is why this scene. is why the extended cuts are so much better because you get so much not not, not forget the fact that it's extra scenes or anything, more action, this and that. Like we just I feel like it just I don't know, it, it, the characters are already developed and you know, as it is, but it just this is just so many more layers to it all. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so true. Like I, I think this is the downside. Um is that yeah you miss those like real sort of nourishing moments i would yeah. say you know like for the audience because it's like it's like you know in the theatrical sometimes it, it the, the characters can almost be a bit two-dimensional you know where it's just like you know either they go into like a comedy trope or they go into like frodo soy boy kind of trope <laughs> yeah. um but within this particular like yeah within this uh, film um, there's so many like scenes where you're just like, why was that cut? That adds another dynamic to like, you know, why they are so close, you know, especially yeah. for Merry and Pippin, you know, yeah. because you always see them as the bumbling kind of like hobbits that are always up to no good. But then you get to see like the insight and the perspective that Merry has on their friendship yeah. rather than it being dictated either from like Gandalf or from Frodo or Sam. Yeah. You know, it's through, it's actually through his perspective and it's a shame that it got cut it is um, a real shame it really is because obviously we'll, I mean, we'll we'll come to uh you know uh, minister uh, again shortly obviously but i um i again apologize if i'm jumping here or there or whatever but i, I it's not too far in front but i was thinking no. when i was watching this film as well in terms of like the next kind of scenes that we see um you know we see Liv tyler return um, mm-hmm. and i was thinking when i was watching it, i was like god we don't see her anymore. Like I, it's a shame, but like we just don't. She's just never, never about. I, I think that that she's so strong in the film, and she's done some great work in itself. It's just, it's just bizarre that she. I mean, then again, if you do what you got to do, aren't you? I guess if you've earned, if you've earned your coin, you don't have to necessarily do as much anymore, do you? I guess. But it's it is a shame because she's really good. She's a great yeah. performer. She um, she is fantastic as Alan. I completely agree with you, and I and I love these like se- this segment that's that comes up. You know. Um, where we get to see, you know, like the the foreshadowing of, yeah. you know, the sun and Aragorn as this like 
wiser like king clearly yeah. in, the, in the 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 foresight that she sees like in the forest i looked into um, your future and saw death but you also saw life <laughs> <laughs> it's so true but it, it's good isn't it like it's really um, good you know, I mean, she like... she pretty much persuades Elrond to have sword, like you know, reforge for Aragorn in 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 the journey for him to become king. So. Literally, yeah, um... literally. And you know what I love about this as well as a bit of a side note, um, I just love how like Brett from Flight of the Concords is in this, and it's I always forget um... about this. I you know, I love this piece of trivia. I always my lady, forget. we cannot delay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you've reminded me. So hopefully, listeners, if you're a fan of Flight of the Concords, if you've never knew that fact before. You're welcome. I always forget about that, man. Thank you for and bringing that up. Do you want to know the reason why he got in for this bit? Do and tell. in for like most of the film? It's because they were obviously very prominent anyway because of like the Concords and like through the comedy um, sort of circuit that they were doing even in the early noughties before they got like their TV show. But um, like on the back of the Fellowship, they did the song about Lord of the Rings oh, and Peter Jackson yeah. loved it so much that he made sure that Brett got a cameo with some speaking lines in and that was what he gave to him and it's that scene and I absolutely just love that it's like Mwah, what a lovely, chef's kiss what a lovely thank you in it in a way you know what I mean yeah. like, in, like you've you've earned this like you enjoy this that's that's amazing good old Jackson I never never slagged him off once <laughs> <laughs> no like, not at all <laughs> Could stay with Arwen for a bit, uh, for a couple more moments. Like for her, for her and Aragorn, it's 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 such a, a beautiful love story, you know. And it's mm. done in in a, again the 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 right way. It's not it's not it's not over the top. Not that there's anything wrong with it. if you're into your over the top soppy love stories, that's absolutely fine. But when it comes to stuff like that in fantasy, it, it can go, it can kind of make or break. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes it feels so misplaced. Whereas I think that mm. again here through the course of these three films, it's presented and, and put on screen perfectly in terms of like the script and, and, and the direction and such. But for her, it's like, for Arwen, it's a case of spending her life with her love and accepting that she's only going to have mm. so much life rather than eternal life. Like I said a minute ago, it's just, just it's such an epically, in in a way, tragic love story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, completely. Yeah, you're so right. And I think if it wasn't these two actors it could have ended up feeling very misplaced. Yeah. Um, yeah. The way that Vigo and Arwen, uh, sorry, <laughs> I know I'm doing a you. Um, the way that the way that Vigo and Liv, um, you know, really do sort of encapsulate that deep and sort of like soul intertwined love mm. um, is is mesmerizing. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm sure. You know, being a married man yourself, and with and like you know me still on the, the the back end of being married as well, you know, like watching it again, I was just like, God, I, I understand that on a completely yeah. different level, where it feels so authentic. Yeah, and you're right. You know, there's so many films out there where, you know, like the chemistry between particular people isn't as good, and then they you feel like they're almost like not being dis disingenuine or anything, but it's just it doesn't hit the same way that these guys really portrayed it for us, yeah. Um, like at all, it's just it's so natural. It's be- it's really mm. really is good. To, it's like I said, one of the few 
love stories where I'm not there going, Ooh, come on, move on. <laughs> so it's, it's really, so no, true. It, 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 you know, t- jokes aside, like it, it's, it's, it's really, really fantastic. And just like I said, captivating to watch, but like, I also really like in this, the sequences of, of Arwen as she's returning to Rivendell, um, you know, mm. on the horse. And again, it looks like maybe it could, could be true, but almost when I was watching that sequence, like the backdrop, it's like, like the animation from the sixties where the backdrop is stationary and almost looks like a painting. And then you just yeah. see her character on the horse, like moving on the horseback. I just, <laughs> it just looks really, it looked like, cause Jackson does it quite a lot in, in the trilogy. Mm. But in this one, I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe that was like, kind of like a, a little bit of a nod to the, to the animation front. Possibly. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I never paid that much attention to, to the backdrop. You know, when you've got Liv Tyler on, <laughs> on, on screen it's hard to look at much else because she is so captivating yeah. you know maybe it is um i think what i always found that i really liked was that you know the the way that like the elves are leaving and yeah. going to the gray havens um i always thought that like the way that they show that within how rivendell looks is very um you know it shows that like parallel you know yeah. that because the elves are leaving you know elrond you know will eventually go to the undying lands as well but then arwen is also like choosing like you said before the mortal life and um, and just to clarify for the readers not all elves can do this this is the only elrond's like lineage is the only one like elrond half elven and his descendants are the only types of elves that can do this because they are half elf um you know like and it's a misconception that that i've heard a lot of people think that like elves like galadriel or um like you know the high king gilgalad that you see in the prologue can do this no 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 it's just because of of those guys and Mm. um and that particular lineage of elves that they are um because interestingly um you don't see this particular character in in rings of power i mean and you probably wouldn't do because why would they ever go back to the books? But um, <laughs> El, but um, Elrond's um, brother was uh, the first king of Numenor. Um, oh, right. El, if I remember correct, Elros. I want to say if if I am incorrect, listeners, please uh, feel free to correct me. I think it may not be Elros, but I feel like it is. Um, yeah. So yeah, nice little bit of trivia for you there. Yeah. Um, and he and he becomes like you know essentially the. The first king and descendant of the whole like Dunedain Numenor lineage of why they have like you know five hundred years lifespans that then you know diminishes to decaying 80, 80 year olds like we are. So <laughs> um, this is why this is why I like bringing you on, man. You you just bring in these facts of just gloriousness. I didn't know any of that, so that's great. Thank you, mate. Well, there you go. <laughs> I wanted to jump to I want to talk about like Gondor and Minas, uh, Minas Tirith for a moment because obviously this is where Gandalf and Pippin are heading. Because obviously following that vision that Pippin has, um, yeah, Gandalf suspects that that's where Sauron's going to attack first. So obviously yes. they head across to be like, oh, warn, warn you. Um, the only problem is, <laughs> as, as we know, is that as an audience we know, is that Gondor is obviously ruled by Denethor, mm-hmm. um, who's just a little bit crackers, um, just to say the least. And <laughs> I, I, I say crackers, but I think it's it's the guilt that he's weighed down with, obviously for the loss of Boromir, because... Even you know Gandalf says to him that he uses grief as a cloak and and this and that and 
if it wasn't for obviously, I mean, we, this is again talking about the extended sequence from the two mm. towers, but he ultimately said to Boromir, like, you need to go, I need to get this ring, like, at all costs. You need to, it's just almost like if he'd not done that, Boromir would still be. I mean, I know there's the favoritism between, you know, Faramir and Boromir, but I think that that is essentially what is a tipping point for him. I read an interesting theory about Denethor that. Uh, without getting into many specifics in terms of someone said that um, in like 15th century you know like the sequence again I'm jumping ahead but when he's eating the tomatoes and stuff like that that the tomatoes were so acidic that they could easily get um, like lead would kind of like poison them so therefore eating them would really well you'd get lead poisoning which again people think that 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 Jackson purposely put that shot in of him eating the tomatoes like as like a Maybe that's another reason why he slipped the, the slippery slope rather quickly, kind of thing. But it's just a theory, you know mm. what I mean? I mean, it's a very interesting one. And timeline wise, like Tolkien envisioned this, like, you know, this kind of like battle saga kind of being more probably around the fourth and fifth century. So even before like the Vikings yeah. came to, to Britain, yeah. as we see with a lot of like adaptations of, of like his, because like, I'm a, an absolute loser and i watch like historical stuff on on youtube you know the a lot of the historians when they've like critiqued these films they say that it feels definitely more medieval which i can understand why a theory would come around like that because of things of like plate armor not really existing you know like yep. originally yeah. um when tolkien like set the book in a particular time era however however <laughs> in in the actual book the reason why Denethor is so unhinged is because he uses one of the seven palantiri that exist within the world that still exist. Ah. There's only there's like because if we throw back to the fellowship, um, Gandalf says not all are accounted for, and that is true within the law. It's known that like the palantiri is very much like it can. You have to be very strong-willed because it yeah. can decay the brain in such a way and you never know in most cases like what dark forces could be manipulating it in the same way like Sauron did with Saruman that we see so I did actually have that as one of my one of my notes that it was a shame that we didn't get to see that even within the extended edition that we didn't get to see that that was like almost the root cause yeah. of the sanity. It would have um, been, it would have been, been, yeah, it have again aided more in terms of uh, a, a more of an understanding as to why it is. I, I do think that all in all, he obviously there is that guilt and grief and such that does kind of really stem it. I mean, that, that would enhance that even more if he was being manipulated and such by absolutely said you know what i mean so, yeah yeah completely I mean, because we've already, we've already seen like how it can impact someone so quickly with pippin just grabbing all of it for a second you know what i mean yeah so that times a lifelong or however many years you know what i mean that's so true you know that is really really true um because in a similar way you know because because we know in the book that there's only three of them that are accounted for and Sauron, you know, is, uh, you know, the great manipulator um, and the great deceiver, he probably will have been focusing and utilising the pain that uh, Denethor was feeling about the loss of Boromir. Probably was used as almost like as a bit of a, as like speculation at first, you know, to like really upset him yeah. and like as foreshadowing, but then actually getting the Horn of Gondor back and it's like cleaving in, tri- in two from the Battle of Amonhen yeah. I can understand why Denethor, you know, would have been t- tipped even more in that yeah. sort of sanity 
Oh, he's, he's such a great performance, obviously. Uh, I forgot the actor's name. I did join uh, him. But... John Noble. There you go. And... I, I've, I've wrote this down. Yeah, John Noble. I, I, it is so good. Like the the to bring to make you really loathe this character and like almost, in a way, feel sorry for him at the same yeah. time. Um, I, I think that is uh, again when you've got a re- very good actor on on set with you. I, I think it's interesting <laughs> that you've got Denethor um, saying that he'll not bow to a ranger who's apparently set to be king. And then mm. you've got Aragorn at this moment as well, who doesn't really want the title due to the due to the history of like what happened before and such. So it's kind of like both butting heads, but in the same but not same way. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, you, you, I don't want to be king, and you don't. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's irrelevant. I get moment. what you're getting at. Yeah, um, I get what you're getting at. There's, there's obviously almost... more in his journey, but it, it, it's it's kind of ironic in a way. Yeah, I, I know what you mean because it's almost more like that Gandalf's like. You know the uh, the Karen mum with a, a child, where it's like, no, he will be, he will be the star of the show. You cannot deny that to him. And then, like, the teacher's like, but I'm, I'm writing the play. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you nice. know, like that's Paul Denethor, like, you know, the teacher at school being like, I don't have to listen to you. I'm, <laughs> I'm running the the city because we haven't had a king in a lot of like in many years. I think if I remember correctly, it's about. It's like over a thousand years that they haven't had a king, you know, like the because like I think sometimes the film, you know, understandably forgets just how long the the gap between Isildur to Aragorn actually is. You yeah, know, it's it's not like it's just a you know like a, a granddad or something. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's it's like yeah, it, I think it's yeah. about a thousand years or so. Um, but I did actually write that down as well. You know, with the whole because this is the the with Gandalf's line, you know, and they do this in all the other films that, which I'm sure we've touched on that, you know, they always say the, the line of like the film. So when Gandalf's like, you cannot deny the return of the King. Um, It's not overly true because the way that like Minas Tirith is governed and with the way that um, Aragorn has to claim the throne, it has to be, um, it has to be in favour of like how the steward and the citizens of Gondor, so not just Minas Tirith, like the whole of Gondor, have to be in unison to accept his like his like lineage claim to the yeah. throne, um, which is what you see like within the book. And I, I, I think we touched on this in um, when we were looking at the Fellowship of the Ring because it's you know it's shown there that like Aragorn's like oh I don't want the I don't want it. Yeah. It's not for me. Doing a Jon Snow. I don't, I don't want it. Yeah, literally. <laughs> um, but in the book, right from the very get-go, Aragorn is so focused on, like, you know, that he is the ranger that is from that lineage. And as soon as he's told about it by Elrond, when the time is right, you know, he, he doesn't have that knowledge when he's growing up. But then he he works with the Dunedain rangers in the north, and becomes, you know, aware of like his lineage and whatnot when the time is right, and he he wants to claim it immediately. Yeah. Um. But he understands that in order for him to have a, a good claim to it and to be in favor of the people of Middle Earth, that you know he has to have them on side. So mm-hmm. a lot of that is his like journey within the book. But I think the way that Jackson changed it to have this sort of like turmoil for Aragorn was a very good change. It's a bit um, like a, it's like a, 
a bit of an underdog story in a way for him, isn't it? Mm, like, yeah. uh, you know, it's almost like he's not really too sure if he even wants it. People are, don't really want it anyways, but for the good of Middle Earth, it, it, it's, it's all kind of, it revolves not just around like Sam, you know, and Frodo, Frodo, I should say, why do I always start with Sam? Frodo and Sam, you know, and destroying the ring, but also making sure that Aragorn, you know, after that is done, that, that the whole of Middle Earth has got some future. Yeah, absolutely. And to be fair, mate, I, in all of my notes around them, around the the dynamic duo, I do actually put Sam first as well. So you're not the only one. Is it? I is say it because, Sam and Frodo. I think it, it just I, sounds nice. Yeah, and also <laughs> uh, without being again, I, I love I love Elijah Wood's performance, but Frodo in this film, man, Jesus Christ, he's so like, come on, mate, <laughs> in a, in a, in the nice way, like as in I don't, it's yeah. just a, it's just a bit like. Oh man, he's like that toddler that you like trying to just like keep from walking in the road. Like, stop it! Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, you're very true, and I think you're right. I think it's because you know, I think it has been quoted that like uh, Tolkien does see Sam as the true hero because, well, and, and and as Frodo says, you know, numerous times, you know. Frodo wouldn't have got very far without Sam, and it's like too right. He bloody yeah. carries you most of the way, mate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's funny we bring up uh, Frodo and and Sam because we're coming to them in just a tick. Because I really like the next kind of few sequences because we because Pippin and Gandalf obviously they remain at Gondor, literally mm-hmm. at the edge of war as well. Like we get some really serious conversation with the two of them during that night sequence where Gandalf's explaining that you know our enemy is ready. Um, and I absolutely love the transition uh, that, that, that happens here of showing the orcs like heading their way. Like yeah. all while Gandalf's narrating, we have the elephants, obviously the first kind of shot of those yeah. and the ships, all whilst this, this wonderful narration from Ian McKellen's going on. And yeah. we also get the first reveal of the Witch King here. Obviously, this is the ring wraith that stabbed Frodo in the Fellowship. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, right? that's yeah. correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, I called it the Witch King upgrade. In the my Witch notes. King upgrades. Is this is this from the <laughs> is this from the game? The uh, the, the the upgrade. Oh no no this no? is this is no this was just my note just around like <laughs> you know that obviously when we see the the Witch King and the rest of the wraiths yeah. like in the first two scenes you know they haven't got any armor on but then we get to see him you know putting on like. His oh, badass yeah. crown and everything, and he just looks flawless. I was just saying, I, I'm all for these kind of like, like almost like Edgar Wright shots of like zooming in on like, you know, like these metal gloves being put on. It's like yes. being like all those kind of like sequences of seeing that put together. Like I'm such a big fan of to say to see yeah. the Witch King um, become the Witch King. Yeah, man, it is such a a beautiful montage, like you said with. Ian McKellen's like wonderful like speech over it just saying about how um just everything is starting to come together you know yeah. all of the all of the the evil forces Sauron's alliance you know it's it's all coming together for the what does it call it it's the very deep breath before the 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 wave the crashing of the waves or something yes, something similar like to that, that. yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like, it's so true. And you feel that in the montage, you know, and you've said it absolutely right with, you know, how you see like the Haradrim on the Oliphants or the, the Mumakil or, yeah. and seeing like, you know, the Corsair pirates of Umbar, like on their ships and, and just like the orcs all gathering, you know, you, you, you really do get to, to feel just like the, that impending doom. They really yeah. like nail that in these like little, this like, this particular scene anyway, like with Gandalf and Pippin on the balcony and whatnot. Oh, it's so quiet. You know, yeah. it's just like, yeah, it is mate, because like you're about to go into a battle. <laughs> um, like 
nobody wants to be around. There's nobody in pubs and stuff. Like they're, they're probably all home, like you know, praying, hugging loved ones. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's it's very well done in this. It's bit. super really intense, really well yeah. done. It's again great work from the editing team for this because, like you say, yeah. you do feel like it is them against the world. Um, and, and we also get to see while all animation is going off as well the sequence where uh, Frodo and Gollum and, and Sam, they, we first see that that secret staircase we're about to try and climb yes. up anyways. But like this gave me super vertigo. Even now watching it gives me super vertigo seeing that. You're like, this is... I think yeah. it's the way that, it's the way as well, not only is it ridiculously steep and such, but the way that Jackson like swirls the camera around um, as they yes. begin to climb as well adds so much to it. Like it's really effective. Absolutely, man. And th- it's not even a staircase. It's literally a no. rock face. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like clambering, isn't it? You have to like proper, it's like when you go on those like kind of hikes or anywhere and then you've got to get on like hands and knees to like scra- scramble. That's the word. You're like, what, yes. what is this? To scramble up those stairs. <laughs> isn't it just like, I, I always, I don't know why, but I always envisioned almost like a bit of a, because it's Sauron anyway, but then again, it's a secret staircase. You'd have thought that maybe, I mean, with Gollum being the kind of like creature he is, maybe like having, you know, an accessible staircase, you know, with like, you know, precision made like steps and a banister probably would have looked a bit out of place. But, you know, help help out the hobbits a bit more (laughs) rather than just giving them just because you can like go up and down rocks like there's no tomorrow doesn't mean everybody else can. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me, it's how I feel about uh, for listeners who aren't around in Sheffield or anything. But when you come out of the Sheffield train station, there's there's a hill straight away to walk up to get towards town. Uh, that is literally how I feel looking up at it. I think, oh my God, like, here we go, boys. <laughs> is, that the one go- is that the one going past Hallam University? Yeah, that, that's yeah, the one. Yeah, exactly yeah, that, that one. awful yeah. one. Steep, yeah. steep. It is. Um, and and um, that pub, the Globe, is it? That's yeah, like, I think it's... It. Yeah, there's the Globe at the top. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the there's top, Kirith, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah that is uh, that is Kirith Ungle in that <laughs> moment then, you know, when you get past Shelob's Lair. It's just like, that's oh, it. the pub. <laughs> Salvation <laughs> for the Orcs. Oh. Dear me, but it's it's so intense this sequence as well because obviously you've got not only them trying to you know get up these stairs, but the the power of the ring and the call and obviously towards you know Sauron's army. It's really intense because obviously you get Frodo walking towards the gates, which are mm-hmm. heavily lit up with that gorgeous green again. Like it is so like, it's so gorgeous. Um, it's it's yeah, you're so you're so true. Like it's it's that um, it's the way it goes up into the sky yeah. as well. You know, like it's just like it's that beacon of yeah. terror in a way. And, you know, this is Minas Morgul, the Witch King's, like, um, fortress that he was, you know, gifted by Sauron when um, the the original, um, like, sort of name for it was Minas Ithil. And it was actually Isildur's realm before Sauron obviously took over and gifted mm. it to the Witch King. You've got to appreciate Gondor's, like, ability to just build so close to like one of the most evil places in yeah. all of like middle earth oh yeah we'll just put a nice little realm there like in the <laughs> why not in the in the mountain range you didn't know it's really close to mordor yeah it's fine nothing bad will <laughs> ever happen to it you know that's like one and a half but, star yeah. on trip advisor and that's been generous. yes never again um, <laughs> but it's true and you know this is another point where you almost see Frodo starting to really lose control as he's getting closer to Mordor. Like, the pull of that immense, like, bond between the Ring and Sauron, even though he's just a, you know, he's not even, like, in physical form at this point. He's he's still, you know, his spirit, essentially, in Barad-dûr, but 
he's still got all of this like force you know it, it's like going into his like almost like neighborhood and expect him to just like walk around so freely um <laughs> i think it's just a reminder of the the peril that they're in as well isn't it like this yeah final leg of the journey is going to take everything that they've got because frodo's been pulled from pillar to post really in inside and outside we think about the, the the battle within and the the struggle of having and 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 you know this 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 purpose to destroy the ring mm. and then you've got characters like your golems and such which are also trying to manipulate you in any capacity i yeah. think that it, it, it all of this right now it, it's even more heightened because you've then got to evade being captured you know by the enemy the death of hands of sauron right here right now like it's such a such a struggle for him um yeah. you know and this again is part of that friction between he and sam as well it's all kind of just building up and building up you know sam doesn't trust gollum one bit whereas frodo like feels for him it's almost like a pet isn't it the way that he and gollum are in this this relationship between frodo and gollum that is and and gollum's playing up to it big time you know what i mean like he knows yeah. there's there's slime manipulation from gollum to start with but it just escalates into and like again Apologies for jumping ahead so slightly, but the, the way that you just outright say to Frodo that Sam wants the ring for himself, like that's the clearest form of Gollum's plan. That that yeah. sadly Frodo like isn't in the right mindset to think otherwise, and it, and it works for him, doesn't it? It works for Gollum. Yeah, so true. And you know, just going back ever so slightly within this particular part of the film, like there's a bit where um, it's obviously like another. It's after the the ten extended uh, scenes that I've written down, which we will go back to. Don't oh, think God. you've got away from it, good sir. <laughs> but but like, there's a little there's a little bit where like Sam essentially puts Gollum up like against the wall before this. Yeah. You know, like as Frodo starts climbing up, and he's like, you know, threatening Gollum, being like, if this doesn't go well, you is gonna die. Yeah. And what? And I've never noticed it before. But Gollum's face is so unfazed. Yeah, he's right, like yeah. he's like there, like with this like almost like a slight grin to his face, as in like you don't know what the hell is up at the top of this rock face, pal. You're gonna get eaten. I just loved it because once again, like you said, it's it's then Gollum slowly getting more bold with the plan, and yeah. you know, really cementing that rift. And as we see, very sh- like in a very short course of time. The, like the 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 destruction of their friendship, yeah. all because like Gollum is there. And interestingly, just to go back to your your point of them being like a pet, sometimes I feel like this with um with our cats because <laughs> me and Siobhan, my wife, we have two cats, and each one is like obsessively like attached to one of us like individually. Yeah. And Oreo, the girl cat was very much like that with Siobhan right from the get-go and Panko, the boy cat, with me. But then when I was, like, trying to get Oreo to like me, it always just felt like this particular bit where Gollum's always like, no, I only like <laughs> I only like Master. It's just like, all right, fine, stinker. So, yeah, I completely agree. Gollum just plays to the advantage, like... Yeah in all aspects with this, you know, he really laps up the, the trust that Frodo has for him. Like yeah. you said. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's such a good, um, those three, like I always love returning to those three characters just to see what, what, even now I've seen it multiple times, but I, I still really enjoy 
everything, every interaction and conversation between the three of them. And obviously we've got mm. plenty more to talk about with those three. But before we jump to our first action sequence, obviously with the ruins of Eskiliath, mm-hmm, do you want mm-hmm. to um, see what, what, are these, what are these extended bloody sequences then? Let's okay. see how epic they so, fail so we're, so we're going to have to go back ever so slightly um, back to Edorus for So you got you got extended scene six where Pippin's struggling to sleep and then he does his wonderful Indiana Jones trick to get the Palantir. Oh, right, there's, yes. there's one in between there, oh. and it um, and it's between um, it's between Aragorn and Eowyn. I'll give you that as a bit of a clue, just because we have had to jump back. Oh, so it must be. It's almost. Is she? Um... No, I'm getting I'm lost. Is she wash not washing him, but is she are they like so through the hands or is it is that not then or So you're thinking about where she offers like the drink. Okay. And and that is in the theatrical film where like yeah, where um after they've done the sort of like uh toast to like those who have fallen yeah. at the Battle of Helm's Deep, she comes up to him with another drink and yeah. he drinks. Um so that's not it. Okay. But the other one is like like I said, in between the parts of where Pippin is wanting to have another look at um, the Palantir. Do you have any ideas? It's not. It's not going to come to me. This uh, is... Okay, that's fair enough. So it's actually there's the scene where Eowyn is asleep um, in the Great Hall. She's like on a on like almost like a medieval chaise long or something. <laughs> um, and Aragorn's literally just walking past her, and he notices that like her. I think it's like her like throw or. You know, like a cover oh, has like fallen like, off. He pulls it back yeah. on her, and then she starts talking about the dream she's just had. And interestingly, when I was listening to this again, I noticed just how cheeky, um, like Rings of Power are, because I know that they're obviously looking at the the fall of Numenor within the show. Apologies, like anybody who wants to watch Ringers Powers of, and who wants to watch that? Listeners. Who wants to watch who, that? Who knows? Who knows? But apologies anyway. I've still not um, watched it all. <laughs> but, but she's actually, when she's talking about the dream, she's talking about the fact of um, that she stood in Numenor and watching, like, obviously it being sunk by Eru Iluvatar. That's what her dream is about. And I was like, oh, my God, it, that's what she's on about. When I was watching it, I felt like Leonardo DiCaprio in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah. with the, the famous Whoop. point. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, that was um, that was extended scene seven. Okay. You, um, you got extended scene eight, which was Mary and Aragorn uh, okay. talking about them being friends. And then extended scene nine is going back to when, obviously, like we meet Denethor. I was going to say, I feel like there's an extended scene. Oh, is this? No, no, it's a bit further on. It might have been the theatrical cut because I, 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 dare I say that Sean Bean, after Fellowship, all his scenes are all from the extended cuts. Yes. Or is that, you know, no, I, know you're right, I, yeah. I know he's definitely extended in the two towers, but I was thinking about the fact when Denethor looks up in, at Faramir and sees him behind him walking. And I wasn't sure if that was in the theatrical cut or not. Um, no, that's that is in the extended edition. Oh, there um, you go, listeners. There's one that's... that's way away, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite a few scenes yeah, like in yeah. front, but um, it's not this one. It, it it must be something. Is it is it when Pippin and Gandalf are first chatting away, like just after Pippin's like knelt down to him? Which again, I'm surprised we've not 
spoke about actually the humorous moment when Gandalf, after Pippin's done his old speech on knees and Gandalf's like, get up. Yeah. <laughs> like, taps him. Or even before that, when they're about to go in to meet Denethor and he's like, basically, he's like, just don't say anything, Pippin. He's like, it's, oh. best, it's best if I talk. You know what? So, you, you you don't say anything at all, actually. Yeah, that <laughs> like, is, that, <laughs> that for me is like one of the, the best, like sort of little interactions between them. I, I called it a pep talk from Gandalf yeah. and yeah, it's hilarious. Like, you know, it's just like, you it's know, the timing, the delivery. just be careful. Actually, let me do the talking. Don't say anything. Yeah, it's just absolutely brilliant. It's just um, wonderful. But you're you're right. I'll give you it. It is like, it's essentially, there's a couple of lines between Pippin and Denethor and they're talking a, just more in depth about Boromir's passing, essentially. Yep. And you're yep. right. It's, um, it is when like Gandalf's like, get up. Um, <laughs> but what I loved about that bit was like, they use like obviously the footage from the Fellowship and with Boromir's like demise yeah, yeah. to really sort of in, intensify Pippin's emotion because yeah. like he was there wasn't it? He, yeah, he exactly. Saw it, he saw it firsthand. He went through the through all of that watching him, you know, sacri- watching Boromir sacrifice himself for them. So exactly, and I think I think that's what makes it even more like. I get that you're upset, Denethor, but like Pippin literally witnessed it happen. Yeah. Like it wasn't like Boromir was just taken down because he was just fighting like for no reason or whatever. Yeah. He was literally saving two of the fellowship and redeeming his honor. And, you know, after like trying to take the ring from Frodo and like, you're almost talking to this person as if like they, they have no feelings, you know, like he's the only one that should have feelings about Boromir. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'll give you that dude. And then Thanks. there's um <laughs> two kind. And then the the last one, and then that'll be the end of the game. <laughs> um, <laughs> is literally just after like obviously there's a bit of a butting head between uh, Gandalf and Denethor. So do you know what it might be? Uh... It's literally just after Gandalf is like you know you can't deny the the return of the king, and Denethor's um... like you know Gondor is my rune. You might have to uh, give me this one as well. Bloody extended so, sequence. Once again, once again, it's one of those like, like it's not even like I said, it's not even really a scene. It's just a snippet, but it's just some additional lines that Gandalf has, like a as a grumbling like old wizard, like leaving like Denethor's presence. Oh and he's, right, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's it. Like you know, that, those lines once again are really sort of yet again to me when I was listening to it, I was just like they're really they're really important why have they been cut yeah. and like you know he's you're already seen him leave denethor so why didn't you just keep those lines in as he's leaving yeah you know it's one of those like yet again just a, another gripe <laughs> about, yeah. how, about how it's been cut but yeah those are that so to be fair man to say that we both like agreed that this is the one that we uh, don't watch as much. You got seven, seven out of ten. That's pretty good going. That. When you got that. like ten out of ten for the last two, so very yeah. well done. Oh, thank you. So yeah, congrats, man. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Well, thank you. Listen, <laughs> hope you enjoyed me fumbling my way through those ones because, as I say, I only ever watch the extended cut. So it's but there's the odd few that you like. Yeah, that's definitely extended. But uh, yeah, thank you, mate. Um, so yeah, let's jump to. The first action sequence of the film, which is at the ruins yes. of the Skilioth, um, where Faramir and his men have been ambushed by orcs, basically. And it's 
it's over in like a quick flash, but we get some really great kills. Uh, and I love mm-hmm. like the use of the mist as the orcs are approaching in this. Like I think that Jackson always captures everything, everything that he can that he can, sorry, in these battle sequences. Like he'll track across and capture like one person be stabbed or a slash to then be mm. taken with like the witch king as he flies and picks up soldiers and throws them and you know we yeah. follow that body as it like you know falls and like brings us back to Faramir or someone and yeah it's just like it just keeps rolling and rolling it's almost like I say these really long takes that are like really immaculate in the film um yeah. that when it comes to the action this is probably why they're deemed as probably the greatest action sequences in film history well yeah absolutely you know the way that like this all kind of like pans out like i like you were just saying before i love the way that like um gothmog and the you know like all of the orcs are you know very slowly like making sure they get there as quietly as possible yeah. and they pick up speed and whatnot then there's like you know little things like there's little touches that yet again get missed and it's you know it's like the the uh the outpost look um like watcher getting shot down by an orc but then that actually signals the the gondorian men it's like mm. little things like that. it's like you're just removing tension yet again yeah and it's it's really really good like this particular sort of thing because it, it shows like the the deceitfulness of the evil side you know that they would rather come yeah. in and do this kind of like sneak attack to yeah. make sure that they they take it they take a Skilliath as like their next outpost to like sort of recuperate and then move on to Minas yeah. Tirith and it's really good you know like you said there's some brilliant action sequences within the sword fighting a um, little bit of trivia Tolkien's great-grandson is actually one of the Gondorian men in this as well he's really? he plays one of the uh I think he plays like one of the guys that are in full plate armor but uh fighting close to um uh to faramir yeah um so i thought that was a really cool like bit that like you know his great grandson is like in there which i thought was ace um but oh my god the these warriors must be absolutely shattered yeah like, at this point because they've been fighting from like essentially the middle of the night up until like dawn time and you know when they decide that it's been overrun and they need to get out of there and it's just like, oh God, poor, poor dudes. Yeah. Like having to fight for so long, like hours and hours of just constantly trying to take out some orcs and try and like get them back. And I agree um with the way that the fell beasts kind of just like dominate like above, like for anybody that's just really unfortunate. Yeah. And one of my favorite parts in all of this is the uh the wall of arrows that like that Faramir almost runs into where he's like <laughs> running through and the you know they like I can't remember what they say to him but essentially they they say get out the way and then he's like hides behind the uh, the pillar and then like that wall of arrows just takes all of those yeah. orcs that were chasing him just oh brilliant it is absolutely a, brilliant a great great sequence and it's nice as well to kind of see just Faramir be because he is a you know a, a very good uh, soldier and such and he yeah. obviously as as we know and established throughout like he doesn't get any of the literally zero credit from his father and such and he is a genuine warrior like he he does his duties and and this is again one of them it's just that um, it's from is it it's from this battle isn't it where they think he's oh no they don't no they don't I ignore me no, no. ignore that well, that's, that's later on. <laughs> coming yeah, up a bit me. yeah. But what um, I was going to say is that you talk, talk about when they were retreating and such. Um, 
what a badass moment from Gandalf as like as they're as they're all retreating, like fantastic again, him riding up to save them, but also Howard Shaw. We've not we've we've spoken a little bit about the score, but and and we always do touch upon this magnificent work from Howard Shaw. Great, obviously, you know, musical genius. Yeah. But he nails this moment with that aid of the choir singing, yeah. like to cut out the sounds of the men in anguish and such as Gandalf runs towards to save them. Oh my God, goosebumps. Absolute yeah. goosebumps. So true, man. And, you know, like it's that once again, it feels very similar to, um, you know, like the, the way that the choir supports um, the the ride of the Rahirim in uh, Helm's Deep, you know, when they're coming yeah. down yes, the hill. Yes, it does. Yes, it, it, it does. It, yeah. And and that's just coming from Gandalf. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. For, forget forget like all of AMR's men. This is just Gandalf on his yeah. own, really supporting these um these retreating like soldiers from like a lost cause yeah. with like that beautiful beam of light and just to pierce through like Sauron's shadow. It's yeah, it's stunning. It is it's fantastic. It is. It's a, a great sequence, and and it's and, and again following that we have. Uh, again, a bit, a little bit of hope for everyone because Faramir, mm. you know, he, he brings the good news to both Gandalf and Pippin that he has seen Frodo and Sam literally a few days yeah. ago, and like that, that brief hope is then cut down as like I swore that as it's, it's cut down <laughs> as Faramir is, beli- you know, he's belittled and yelled at by his father Denethor once again. Like yeah. I, I know I've said it before, and we spoke about John Noble briefly, but just. He really makes you hate him, doesn't he? Like every single mm. line he delivers, and especially in any sequence between him and Faramir, like it is such a good performance. And mm. again, not only fury towards Faramir, but then that that breakdown of not of, of the loss of his other son. It's just so many emotions in that performance that it, it, it's just remarkable, really, what John Noble did with it. And um, yeah, it, it, again. More, I should get more praise than what I probably have done, given him already. In fairness, <laughs> but he's so good, so so good. Yeah, he is. Um, one of my things that I wrote down as well is that um, he, very similar to Bernard Hill um, as Theoden in the Two Towers, when he learns about Theodred's passing, is that like John really shows that trauma of yeah. like the the loss of his son oh, yeah. so well. You know, like, but he shows it in a completely different way. Like, I feel like Theoden almost feels like a bit of an absent father because of, like, the the spell that he was under. And, you know, his mourning, I would say quite um, quite appropriately for for Theodred's passing because there was nothing that he could have done. Whereas, like, Denethor's, like reaction is to berate Faramir and make yeah. Faramir almost the reason why Boromir is no longer around. Mm-hmm. And I, I I really find that so interesting that they took, they made him take that approach and, you know, slightly lean into the books. Like it's definitely laid on a lot more thick in the film, but yeah, it, it's just a really different take on that sort of loss of a child. And yeah, like you say, John, it like you know he he gets his money's worth. Like oh yeah, in this so. like he is just stunning as as uh, as Denethor and showing the madness, showing that that um, almost like I love your brother more than than I love you. So yep. go off and die. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's um, it as well. Like when he when when they have that conversation and like Faramir like says, doesn't he? Almost like you'd 
what was it? You wish um, that I'd taken Boromir's place towards that effect kind of thing. Yeah, and then yeah. Then it goes straight up, just like, yeah, you know what I mean? And, and off you pop kind of thing. Like, if you if you do die, then whatever's like, I'm, I'm not bothered. I, it's, it's so harsh and it's, uh, yeah. it's so cruel, but again... If I do I, return, think better of me, father. Yeah. Well, that depends on the way that you return. It's like... All right, All mate. Right. <laughs> like you've, you've, you've literally like told him to go out and do like a cavalry charge that's yeah. essentially going to kill him. And now you're saying, well, I'm only going to be happy if you come back and Escalith is secured. It's like, bore off, Denethor. Yeah. Like, and, and I think that's one of my um, next like sort of um, notes is that that ride out, once again, historians have said that, yeah, you know, a cavalry charge sometimes could be the, the be all and and change like within a circumstance but like in and somebody like one particular guy said this particular cavalry charge is such a waste of time like the orcs have got the upper hand because they've taken over yeah they've got they've got the battalion behind them you know they've got they've got like they're, they're able to flank effectively and hide behind the like all of the the brickwork and stone and it's not like they're out on the field or anything yeah. like and could be trampled by the horses, they are literally going to be taken out by arrows yeah. and probably by skirmishers. So, unfortunately, like, Denethor literally does send his son to to die. Yeah. And it's like, for what reason, other than because you're just a bit angry? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you're miserable old sods. <laughs> literally. We'll, um, we'll be coming back to Denethor shortly, because obviously it's not far off when the eating sequence unfolds. But yeah. I was... Very impressed always, as as listeners know, like with terms of cinematography aspect and the way things mm. are filmed and stuff. But there are some uh, wonderful moments when it comes to the lighting of the beacons, which is um, which is great in, in in Return of the King. But I also have to give a shout to the Family Guy spoof of this scene. Yes, which yes. if anyone's not seen it, you need to Cheryl watch it. <laughs> Nice, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, incredible, incredible uh, spoof. Yeah. But anywho's the, back to the film. Like, this is a huge moment because like the beacons are lit. That meaning that Rohan will answer and join in battle Absolutely. to defend Middle Earth for all of Middle Earth, and like mm. even Merry is getting in on the action as well, like offering his sword to help in the battle. And again, a very lovely moment. And you you could argue that if you haven't read the books and you knew nothing about the source materials, you could think that maybe this was like a one of the hobbits isn't going to come back. And I, and, I, and correct if I'm wrong, but is was that the plan? Was that the plan for the film that one of them was going to get killed? And I think that they changed it because then they used it in The Hobbit with one of the dwarfs. Um, let me I could be completely so. wrong though. I, I I don't know why something was coming to mind that I I had this. I feel like that it was talked about that they may either Merry or Pippin obviously might not make it out. But I I think that Jackson was like, no, I'm not having. I don't know. Like I I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me to some extent because. You know, if you sort of look at the the body count of the prominent sort of like noble characters that you see within the film yeah. and within the book, Boromir is really like one of the only ones that is almost like seen as a bit of a sacrifice in a way. Yeah. You know, like Gandalf, you know, is eternal, so he just comes back as Gandalf the White. But yeah. I agree, like even if that was the case, I'm glad that they didn't do that because it would have almost yeah. like it would have almost started to feel a bit too Game of Thrones that, like, nobody's safe. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He's still great for Merry, I think. Again, And it just shows you the kind of character that he is as well, that he, he's not one to shy away from a fight should he need to. You know what I mean? It's, it's something yeah. greater than him at the end of the day. 
completely agree you know like going back to that sort of like bravado that Merry has you know he's wanting to prove his his own you know he doesn't want to yeah. be seen as like a burden to like the the men of the Rohirrim he wants to show that like give me a sword and I'll do what I can you know yeah. and and if that means that I die that you know then then I'm doing it for the right cause and I'm not doing it just for glory I'm doing it because of the fact of that this is the the right cause to be fighting for yeah you know like you know almost like mirroring what Sam says in the two towers you know like it is worth fighting for yeah. um so yeah like absolutely and just going back to Pippin in particular what I love about his song that he sings like mm. you know over the the Gondorian ride out um, that this actually was written and came about um, because one of the uh, the scene writers um, joined like him and some of the other cast members on a karaoke night out. Yes, I saw this um, as well. Yeah, yeah. And I just think that is so wonderful that like they realised that he had such a beautiful voice. Yeah, let's get that in somehow. It is gorgeous. Like that that whole the whole sequence of him singing like whilst Denethor sits, I know we spoke briefly a, little, a moment or two ago about him mm. scoffing his face and such, but <laughs> it's it's perfect in a way to see the man in charge, you know, scoff his face silly whilst his son and, and the army are out in battle. Like, he doesn't want... He's mm. someone that clearly doesn't want to get his own hands dirty. I think, if anything, the fact that we're seeing him scoff his face while this beautiful song's mm. been sung out, it all fits perfectly. And and like like we've already spoke about, you know, he he's happy to see you know Faramir die. Um, mm. You know, he wants him dead rather than Boromir. It's just it's just a very heartless act from Denethor that. Um, yeah. But yeah, on top of it, like you, the the contrast of that beautiful voice from Billy Boyd's, um, mm. you know, as Pippin on top of the the violence that's unfolding it's it's again a great uh, and wonderfully worked like juxtaposition really absolutely and i love the um the dissonant sort of chords that are used as well yeah. like underneath like you know just yeah. how cuz obviously like the way that he sings is very much like it's sad but beautiful and yeah. still very melodic and then howard shaw like you know throws it off by making sure that like that there's almost like the dissonance of evil like still playing underneath with like them just about to decimate this like cavalry charge yeah um yeah it's it is brilliant and one of yeah. my other notes that i noticed and i only noticed it this time um is that you know like when they're still in minas tirith and they're on the horses going through and like you know there's flowers being like passed to them and like other sort yeah. of accolades and whatnot there's a close-up um of a crowd of like children and you'll never guess whose daughter is in the middle of it oh there we go this is uh is it someone that's in the film or is it is it someone completely it's somebody separate? prominent within like the film okay then so well, i say within the film like as part of the production of the film <laughs> oh right okay so so what like jackson's daughter yeah it's jackson's yeah. daughter that like you see as one of the Hobbit children that's listening to Bilbo, like oh. um, I, I I spotted her and I was just like, that's Jackson's daughter. That is her. Why is she here in Minas Tirith? She's a <laughs> Hobbit. <laughs> Damn you, Jackson, for getting all your family in these. Films. I know all these little cameos <laughs> from the family. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just quickly jump back to. I mean, because I, I want to talk about the three amigos because we've hardly spoke about Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, and I want to want to come to them in a second. Fair. But I might be getting my uh, structure wrong. But there's the there's a sequence. There's a sequence, obviously, when it really 
kind of unfolds in terms of the, the breakdown between Frodo and Sam. And mm. like, it's the, obviously, because Gollum's, you know, manipulating, as we've already spoke about, but it's the, it's the sequence where uh, Sam says to him that like, because um, uh, Frodo thinks he wants to take it for himself. He's like, I could carry it for you, carry it for you. And I always yeah. think of Flanders just going, nothing at all, <laughs> nothing at all like each time. But again, I, it's, it's, it's great. It's great words. And you do feel in that moment, just what, Frodo genuinely thinks right everyone it's like everyone's out to get me everyone wants what I've got like and it's almost like he's becoming Gollum himself in a way which is interesting because there were sequences that were shot weren't there where Elijah Wood wore all the Gollum makeup and such yeah, which you can, you so can see true. these you can see these harrowing images on on the tinter web but like they were gonna have a yeah. scene where it was gonna flash and see what it was gonna do to him and it's quite um yeah, really uh, horrible to look at it. For being honest, it's uh, it would have been it would have been interesting to include those kind of sequences. But I can see again from a creative standpoint, there was no real need for it because we kind of can tell we know what it can do to you. You've got Gollum yeah. there, you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. So. Like I completely agree with you, man. Um, it would have, like you said, it would have been interesting to have seen like Frodo like take that sort of physical mm. form. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you've caught so much of. Andy Serkis as Gollum, and then yeah. having that being shown like in the transition from Smeagol to Gollum, mm. then it would almost feel like you're just getting more of it, which yeah. isn't necessary. Completely yeah, agree. Hello again, beautiful people. Thank you so much for clicking on the podcast and for checking out the first part of the revisit of Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Myself and Nat had an absolute blast, just a whale of a time, as you can hear. <laughs> going over this film and there's so much more to come in part two so do make sure you press play on part two um and hear us waffle endlessly and gush about the latter half of the film we've got Shelob's lair coming up obviously the final part of the journey for Frodo and Sam getting into Mordor uh, and then the big final battle of the saga which is one of the greatest cinematic events ever period that is to come too so thank you again for checking out part one leave us a review comments all that jazz and hopefully see you soon for part two.